In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let's talk about Valentine's Day. (laughs) St. Valentine was an actual person. He was a martyr in the third century. He's said to have married couples who were wanting to be married in the Christian faith in Rome when it was forbidden. And you know, St. Valentine wasn't even associated with romantic love until Geoffrey Chaucer's circle of courtly love was celebrated in the high Middle Ages. So we're on the cusp of Valentine's Day. It's a day that has never been officially celebrated by the Episcopal Church. It's a day that was removed by the Pope from the Roman Catholic calendar at the inception of Vatican II. And it's the day that rivals even Easter and Christmas, as most centered on consumer hype. So I don't know what you think of when you, you think of Valentine's Day, but I think of three things. One, the stuff I have to get for Robert to show him I love him. <laughs> I think of the years past when I didn't have a Valentine on Valentine's Day in the shadow side of this day for so many. And I think about how this is a day that so often misses the whole point. So let's start out with the shopping. Now this is not to sway you from buying candy from the youth that they spent all day making yesterday. (laughs) If you're buying it to show your love for a loved one, you're getting the point. But that's what we do, we shop for candy, We shop for roses for our sweetheart, look forward to maybe getting some jewelry. Kids think about those Valentine's Day cards they'll be exchanging in school. Couples sometimes plan a special dinner in or out. There's a lot of hype and expectation in the um, radio promotions on TV. And then there's that shadow side of Valentine's Day. Plans people are making to spend the day alone. The reality of broken marriages on Valentine's Day. And memories of celebrations past in the face of the death of a loved one. And then the third thing, that frustration with what the day has become in general. Overhyped, saccharine sweet, a celebration that ultimately misses the point. There are a lot of people, whether it's this year or every year, who would rather do without the entire existence of this thing called Valentine's Day. It's funny how days like Valentine's Day can so closely parallel how people view our church-going day every Sunday. Going to church in ways has become a consumer event. There's the shadow side of church. And churchgoers often miss the point. I'm guessing I'm not the only person in this room who's engaged at one time or another in their life in a thing called church shopping. (laughs) People look for particular things when they're going to different churches or even when they're in the same place from week to week. 
Some think immediately that they want to find the place that reminds them of their childhood. And some people immediately think of the place that does not remind them of their childhood. <laughs> some think about the style of worship. I know a lot of kids and adults who are very concerned about how the communion bread and wine tastes. And then there's that shadow side of church going. In the past decade, if you've been following the news, churchgoers have received more publicity on their scandals than their service to God. Even in our own Episcopal church, we've experienced brokenness and in our inability to reconcile our different understandings. There are parishes in our diocese that have broken away. They've realigned with other Anglicans because we haven't been able to talk out our differences. And the truth is there are some people even here in this room who've feuded with one another. There's a frustration with what church-going appears to the outside world to have become in general. To some, it's the judgment-filled place. To others, an overly sentimental, overly simplified gathering that ultimately misses the point. It's no wonder there are a lot of people who would rather do without the entire existence of this thing we call church. Yes, even at St. Wilfrid's in this vibrant, flourishing community, we can miss the point. We can fall victim to becoming mere consumers of church rather than followers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is not a new phenomenon. This morning we traveled back to the flagship Christian church in the first century, those worshipers at Corinth. It was a church that was planted by the Apostle Paul, a church that experienced a lot of growth under that passionate preaching of the man named Apollos. And the first church members, they were the first in a long history that made belief and prayer and worship at times into a consumer sport. In the third letter, in the third chapter of the letter Paul wrote to these churchgoers, we hear that he calls them immature, infants even, as they feud with one another. Some say, we're on Paul's side. And some say, well, I'm rooting for Apollos. Paul or Apollos, whichever side you're on, that guy's going to grow the church. You can imagine how these feuds play out in our churches today. I've heard in my ministry in various congregations, well, we ought to be uplifting the right one Eucharist or the right two Eucharist or the 1979 prayer book, or that prayer of humble access in the 28 prayer book. Some say, well, at this part, we should all be standing. That would lead us more to closely to God. Or at this part, we should be kneeling. That would lead us more closely to God. And then you can all guess where I'm going next. It's the sacred cow. Music. The 7.30 people are going to tell you they don't want to sing along to music and worship. Some here in this room will say, the organ music and the 82 hymnal, that's how I can truly be open to the Spirit of God. And others say, without praise music, I just can't experience God in my midst. The Message Bible paraphrases Paul's letter. 
These are hard words to hear. As long as you grab for what makes you feel good or what makes you look important, are you really much different than a babe at the breast, content only when everything's going your way? They're hard words to hear because we've all been there. And we live in a society where there's no longer one church in town. You have a choice. You can be a consumer. You can find the place that gives you just exactly what you want. But at what point do we start really doing the hard work of maturing as a Christian family? No matter where or when or how you choose to worship, a mature Christian looks for one thing, and one thing alone. And that is sign of the living God in our midst. All of the worship that we experience here in this place. The vestments, the communion bread and wine, the music, the silence, even the space itself. All of it was created by human beings. A lot of various diverse human beings. It was created to teach us to entrust our lives to our mutual master, the God we worship together. It's not the preaching or the way the communion wafers taste or anything else that will make you a mature Christian. It is God alone that helps each of us grow. And Paul makes it clear to the Corinthians that it wasn't him and it wasn't Apollos that made the first church, the Corinthians, grow. It was God alone. It's not this way or that way. It's not either of those ways that make us grow as Christians. But it's people who are trusting in a God who says that this way and that way and all ways that are sincerely seeking God are valuable when it comes to being a member in the body of Christ. It's that consumer attitude toward holidays like Valentine's Day that can make days like that that are supposed to be focusing on love instead seem so abhorrent. And it's the same with church. When we enter into the space simply looking for what makes us happy and ignoring that we're a part of a diverse body of Christ, we're the ones that make church look abhorrent to those on the outside. The gospel gives us both a message of warning and of hope as we consider what all of this means for us. The scripture says strongly, even if you're angry with your neighbor about anything, fuming inside, whether it's about worship or just something in your life, if you're not working to make steps to, toward greater understanding, toward reconciling that anger, you're on the same continuum as the one who commits murder. If you insult your brother or sister or call him or her a fool, you're on a very dangerous path. There's a reason we move from this time of hearing the gospel into a time of confession. If we're going to become, come before this altar to receive the body and blood of Christ that makes us whole, we have a responsibility not only to reconcile, but to get to the root of what's angering us so. 
to move toward understanding our own selves and those around us more fully. And it's in that spirit that we ask for forgiveness for our own short-sightedness, as well as way that we can forgive those who've misunderstood us. When we pass the peace of the Lord, it's mere mockery if we do it superficially. So what's the good news in all of this? The good news is that God is calling every single one of us to greater maturity, to go deeper in our own personal faith and in our shared faith in the church. Some of us may have discovered a love for God and the church because the sermon sounded really good, or because we received a friendly welcome, or because we liked the music, or because we loved those neatly robed leaders in procession. And all of that is wonderful, so long as we don't make these things the center of our faith. I think this past week, all the events in Egypt point to an interfaith example of what we're to be looking for in our body of Christ. In that town square, people started cheering that Muslim majority, Allah Akbar, God is great. And over those cheers rose something louder and much more profound. Muslims, Christians, we're all Egyptians. 7.30, 10 o'clock, praise music, choir music, standing, kneeling, preaching here or preaching there. We're all St. Wilfridians. When we mature in faith, we learn to see how all of the various aspects of the church at worship are aids. They're aids in making us servants in Christ, intent on going out into the world in the name of love. And that's what's at the heart of all of this. Unity. Love. It's what a lot of us forget at Valentine's Day. And what we sometimes forget at church. And we remem- when we remember that love is the point of it all, this love has the power to change us, to change our worshiping community, and to change the world. Amen.